Now for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Good morning. I'm attorney Katie Dean with the law firm of Locke and Quinn. Welcome to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's Law Talk radio show. This show brings an exciting and varied array of legal topics to listeners throughout Central Virginia, and especially in the greater Richmond area. On Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m., this show features true life stories and cases, legal tips, and information from experts and attorneys. The law touches nearly every aspect of daily life, and this show brings both humorous and entertaining stories along with helpful tips, including tips on access to legal services, something that not everyone can afford. As a reminder, you can watch a Facebook Live video of today's show by going to the Locke & Quinn page on Facebook. Later on, you can also visit our website, www.lockquinn.com, in order to download videos and podcasts of all of our episodes. Today, we're discussing some of the laws and programs that protect the rights of people with disabilities. I'm joined by Robert Gray, who is the Director of Compliance and Quality Assurance, and Julie Triplett, Senior Disability Rights Advocate, both from the Disability Law Center of Virginia. Good morning, Robert and Julie. Good morning. Good morning, Katie. And I'm very excited to be talking with both, both of them, especially since the Disability Law Center is where I began my career when I was just starting out as an attorney. Um, and as a reminder, if you have any questions uh, during the show, you can call in at 804-454-1366. So let's get started. Um, Robert, just to give everyone some background, what exactly is the Disability Law Center of Virginia? Sure, Katie. Uh, the Disability Law Center of Virginia is the Commonwealth's designated protection and advocacy agency. We advocate for the rights of Virginians with disabilities all across the Commonwealth through individual and systemic cases and projects. Now, every state has an agency similar to DLCV and that provides these protection and advocacy services. And DLCV is a nonprofit agency. And in most cases, we're able to provide these services free of charge to the public. Now, our mission is to advance independence, choice, and self-determination. We want to protect legal, human, and civil rights, eliminate abuse, neglect, and discrimination, and we do this through zealous and uncompromising legal advocacy and representation. Um, our vision is a commonwealth that is free of legal barriers for individuals with disabilities. Awesome. Um, so now the name of the organization is the Disability Law Center, but of course, not everyone who works there is an attorney. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, so can you explain some of the other types of roles um, at DLCV? Sure, sure. Our attorneys are obviously very important to the agency um, as they manage our litigation, but our attorneys are only about a third of our staff. Uh, in addition to our attorneys, we have advocates who operate under the supervision of attorneys and then negotiate and resolve issues before they really end up in a legal proceeding. The advocates, they make up about a third, another third of our staff, and the final third is our operational support unit. Um, you know, this is a critical unit, and they manage all of our administrative and financial operations to make sure we make everything work. Um, you know, everyone at DLCV, Katie, is, is an advocate, however. All of us are constantly out on the road. We're surveying, we're monitoring, we're providing education to the community. Because you guys cover the whole state of Virginia, is that correct? That's right, <laughs> okay, that's right. So, not just, not just the Richmond area, even though that's where you're located. You know, last year we provided direct assistance to about 2,500 people. Um, we had uh, 2,000 of those who received information and referral, and then 500 received direct case services. Wow, 
That's a lot of good work. Um, so what exactly is your job within the Disability Law Center? Sure. Um, I manage all of our quality assurance functions at the office. Um, so this includes like your program compliance and completion of annual reports for our federal grants, um, which really make up the core of our funding. Um, receipt of our client and public feedback we receive through input processes, and then management of our on-duty process. Um, I also, uh, my second <laughs> job is I manage the resource and vocational access unit. We call ourselves the RVA, and the unit manages all of our vocational rehabilitation advocacy um, and assistance for beneficiaries of Social Security who might be facing barriers related to work or maintaining employment. Wow, so it sounds like you're keeping busy. <laughs> I try. Um, and Julie, um, what is your job at the Disability Law Center? Well, good morning again, Katie. Um, my my job is I am a senior disability rights advocate with the Law Center, and I spend most of my time working with individuals with various types of disabilities who face barriers to employment, accessing the services and supports they need to be employed successfully. Um, another part of my job is that I um, get to do a lot of presentations about the Disability Law Center of Virginia and the services we offer and the programs and things that we do. Sounds like you're keeping pretty busy as well. Yes. Um, so how long have you both been working in this field? Well, I'll start. Um, I've been in the disability field for um, 20 years, part of which was in another state and um, in the state of Arkansas. So give a shout out to Arkansas. <laughs> um, and then um, I've spent the last 12 years at the Disability Law Center. Wow. Robert, how about you? Yeah, from my end, I've um, been in the disability services field for 15 years, um, and I was with DLCV and its predecessor, as was Julie, uh, the Virginia Office for Protection and Advocacy, yes. for nearly um, 11 years here at the agency. Now, the difference between us now and us then is um, in October 2013, our agency transitioned from a state agency into a, a nonprofit and this is pretty common in the protection and advocacy world. Um, most protection and advocacy agencies all across the U.S. are nonprofits now, um, just a handful within the state. And the reason for this is um, that we became a nonprofit is we wanted the ability to actually take on issues with the Commonwealth, with agencies like the Department for Behavioral Health and Developmental Services. And when you have two state agencies <laughs> in the legal world who are trying to take uh, on each other, sometimes that can create a conflict. Right. Um, so we took uh, everything straight up to the Supreme Court, federal Supreme Court, and were able to um, challenge and win the ability to take on and sue <laughs> the the other state agencies. However, shortly after that, we um, transitioned and became a nonprofit. Got it. Um, and because you guys act as oversight for some of these uh, state, you know, programs and agencies, so I can see, yeah, where both being state agencies would create that conflict or at least the illusion of, you know, the state suing the state. For, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> for something. Um, so what inspired both of you to get involved with this line of work? You've both been involved with it for um, quite some time. So, okay. Well, um, for me, it was not really an inspiration to get involved. It was more about um, that I wanted to make a difference. Um, but I'm inspired every day that I do my job. Um, the job that I had before this one, I had the opportunity to assist individuals to um, attain um, medications through medication assistant programs that they didn't have um, insurance. And so they had to access um, the medications through 
particular programs, and so I helped them to to do that. But for this job, was what inspires me to stay with it is that we get to assist people to to achieve their independence and to help them to access the services and supports that they need to be as maximized in their daily life as possible. So that's what inspires me to stay with it. Yeah, and for me, Katie, um, you know, many years ago I was a teacher and uh, I, I watched children with disabilities just walk into my classroom and honestly, across the school, they just failed to succeed in different areas. And the reason why there were obstacles there wasn't their fault. These were obstacles that were out of their control. You know, they needed things like technology. They needed a copy of a test in an alternate format. Uh, they needed something else to help them be successful. And for whatever reason, they just weren't receiving it. So I thought, why is this a problem? And so I kind of jumped into this field. And um, when I came to work for uh, DLCVN, our predecessor, VOPA, um, I realized that, oh, wait a minute, it's not just the kids. <laughs> Adults have these same problems. Sometimes these problems are just so systemic and all over the place. How are we going to tackle this? So I just kind of stood up and said, I need to stand on the front line and do what I can to help. Yeah. Um, and just to clarify, I know um, you said early on uh, DLCV is, is a nonprofit. So if people qualify for your services, um, you know, they are a legal center, but they're free of charge. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, so Robert is the director for compliance and quality assurance. You probably have a pretty good grasp on all the different types of cases and projects that DLCV handles. And you've talked a little bit about some of them already, but can you explain some of the main areas of the law that DLCV focuses on? Absolutely. Um, you know, we operate every year under a real specific list of goals and focus areas. And we kind of use that as a skeleton, Katie, mm -hmm. that we then build our body of work on and create a work plan from. So what I'll do is, um, you know, we're doing this with a staff of 30. Right. <laughs> so obviously there are literally thousands of issues we could take on every year, but we have to choose the areas we feel we can be most effective in that mm -hmm. year. Um, this year, um, we're focusing on preventing abuse and neglect in community settings and in institutions, um, your mental health hospitals, your training centers that serve individuals with developmental disabilities. Okay. Um, and then we're also working with um, individuals who are facing barriers on education issues, um, you know, things like assistive technology, and then maybe they're facing suspension, seclusion, and restraint in the school, we're helping with those issues. Um now, when it comes to another area we focus on is the denial of government services. Okay. So you're talking about people like facing barriers to vote or access to transportation. Um, you might be access to government services, um, like uh, getting into a post office or social security building. Um, we focus also on an integrated environment uh, this year. So we're looking to make sure people are discharged in a timely fashion from a facility. Okay. Um, and that they have the right to make their uh, individual choice and have access to public accommodations. And that's very important because sometimes <laughs> they might want to get into a grocery store or a restaurant, but there right. might be a barrier to get inside. Um, you know, we also ensure that people are employed to their maximum potential. And that kind of goes into the work that Julie and I, and a little bit of a shout out to the our other RVA advocates, <laughs> um, Shalisha and Joe Lafon, who are also in our unit, um, mm -hmm. And, and we make sure that people are employed to their maximum potential and have access to the quality uh, services from vocational rehabilitation providers. Mm 
Okay, and then I know this is a mouthful, <laughs> but there's one more focus area we work on, and that is um, certain healthcare access issues. So we're talking about things related to Medicaid, uh, waiver, uh, accommodations like interpreters. Okay. Um, and access to public transportation routes to medical offices. So that's a big chunk. Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's the limited, the scaled down skeleton version. Yeah. Like. And so now like the bad news to that, right. unfortunately, which is we can't take on every issue that comes our way. Mm-hmm. And then we just have certain areas we aren't able to help in at all. And those areas are things like family law, right. um, divorce, custody, support. Um, we aren't able to help with assisted suicide, um, drafting wills, trusts, or estate planning. Criminal law, bankruptcy, tax issues, pensions, and then property disputes. You know, there, as I'm sure you're very well aware, there are other <laughs> firms and resources available to help people, um, like legal aid and then private firms. Right. And so, do you guys, when people call in with some of those issues, are you able to sort of direct them, um, or you know, at least try to direct them in in the right direction if you guys aren't able to to help them? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um, we, everyone who calls us, receives service. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that service might take a lot of research for us to go and figure out what information and referral they need, where they need to go. Mm-hmm. But we're going to dig, and we're going to help find the resources that each person needs if we can't directly assist ourselves. Right. So if you guys aren't opening the case, you're still trying to give them some sort of help and, and point them in the right direction and exactly. give help to everyone who calls. Wow, that's great. Um, and it, it sounds like you guys even, you know, like you said, you, you sort of limit the areas you, you cover, but you still really cover a lot. Um, and I think when most people think of the laws that protect people with disabilities, um, they may only be familiar with the Americans with Disabilities Act right. or, or what we call the ADA. And just some background for those who may not be familiar, the ADA is a federal law passed in 1990 that prohibits discrimination and ensures equal opportunity for people with disabilities in employment, state and local government services, public accommodations, commercial facilities, and transportation. So, for example, um, you go out in public, you notice an accessible parking spot or a curb cut or maybe an elevator or a ramp. Um, Those are all examples of the ADA working to make sure that people with disabilities have equal access to public places. Um, And those are, I think, the ones that people are most familiar with. But, Mm -hmm. of course, there are a lot of other types of accommodations required under the ADA that people might be less familiar with. Is that that right? So true, Katie. (laughs) So true. So the Americans with Disabilities Act has various titles Mm -hmm. and that provide protection for employment discrimination. Right. Um, What you just said, the uh, access to government, uh, local government and public buildings, Mm -hmm. um, access to telecommunication. And and then the list kind of goes on and on and on. Um, but what's very interesting about the ADA is, you know, just recently, uh, their 2010, the Americans with Disabilities Act accessibility guidelines were updated. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what you have is this body of work from the early 90s that said you have to be accessible. Right. And that's changed now um, specifically regarding a lot of uh, 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 businesses like medical offices, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, there are new standards with these 2010 um, um, changes that make medical offices have to provide a greater number of accessible parking spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, there are new changes that make recreational facilities have to make their pools accessible. Wow. So some of your listeners yeah. might notice, you know, if they've been recently to a local gym mm-hmm. or, or recreational facility, that there are now lifts that get people into pools and that there are ramps that lead into the pools if there's not a lift. Yeah. Um, and these are direct ch- results of those changes. Now, um, you'll notice I said local and state 
government buildings for mm-hmm. the ADA because we have that that little barrier <laughs> that the uh, that the federal government did when they wrote the ADA, and that is to not protect individuals under the ADA from barriers to federal government programs and services. So there's this interesting law uh, that's known as the Architectural Barriers Act. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, it was actually written in 1963, <laughs> before the ADA. Long before the ADA. <laughs> Long before the ADA. And, uh, and that law was actually uh, designed to make sure that facilities that were designed, built, or altered, or leased with federal funds, um, and I apologize, it was in 1968, 1960, not 1963, um, were accessible for people with disabilities who were trying to access federal buildings, like mm-hmm. the post offices and the Social Security buildings I mentioned earlier. Right. Um, and uh, there's the United States Access Board that kind of has oversight. Well, one of the interesting things DLCV is doing this year is we're taking a close look at these federal buildings and seeing if we can use um, the United States Access Board to help us to um, resolve barriers that folks are having with with those uh, federal facilities Mm -hmm. as well. Um, So we're kind of able to tackle things uh, globally and, um, you know, we never want to think that uh, just because a person has a problem at a post office that they should they should not be able to complain about it just like they would complain if they had a problem trying to get into a grocery store. Right. Um, now, so, yeah, under the ADA, though, we've tackled a lot of different cases over the years. Um, you, you know, you might notice just down the street here as I was driving here today, there are a couple of uh, shopping plazas I know very well <laughs> <laughs> in my former life as an advocate that we help to make accessible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we fix things like entrances to the building. We fix things like restrooms to make sure that there were grab bars. Um, we'd make sure that uh, anyone could could go inside and use these public accommodations. Yeah, and that's so important. I, I remember when I began my career at DLCV uh, as an intern, actually, uh, one of the big intern projects that we always did is they would send all the interns out and we would just go to places. We would count parking spaces. We would, you know, measure ramps, right. you know, just do stuff like that. But it's so important because, I mean, it's getting people in the door of, you know, these public places is such a big, you know, a big piece of things. Exactly. Um, so any other, uh, you know, cases that you guys have going on or anything well, you're... Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, luckily we're able to open the door to um, a limited number of cases mm-hmm. every year, but you might find this year we're having a specific concentration okay. on um, barriers to, to fix route transportation okay. to reach medical buildings. And we've actually, um, we're lucky enough to receive a grant uh, from the Virginia Board for People with Disabilities to really take a close look at several um, cities across the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is the city of Richmond. So if we have any listeners today in that area, (laughs) um, we're looking at, um, you know, where does GRTC drop off someone and how are they going to get to the the hundreds of medical providers that are just in the city of Richmond? Um, we're also looking at some other areas as well, including Norfolk, Roanoke, and Loudoun County. And um, you know, we'd like to and, and we'd like to think that we could do the the whole Commonwealth. Right. We'd love to fix every problem, but you know, things you might notice with uh, cracks in the sidewalk, mm-hmm. um, problems with a lack of an accessible route, no curb cut to get onto the curb and mm-hmm. reach the building. Um, those are issues we're looking for from where the stop is to drop someone off to then get to the front door of the medical office. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, Well, 
that that sounds really awesome. Um, and of course, um, the ADA and the Architectural Barriers Act. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about um, public accommodations and architectural accommodations. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also a major United States Supreme Court decision in 1999. It's the it's called the Olmstead decision, um, which analyzed what we call the integration mandate of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, and what the Supreme Court essentially said in that case was that the ADA requires public agencies to provide services in the most integrated setting appropriate um, to the needs of qualified individuals with disabilities. Um, so we've been talking a lot about access, but there's also a big integration piece right. of this. So um, how does that um, decision and the integration mandate impact the work that DLCV does? It has a major impact, <laughs> a major impact. Um, you know, you're going to find our advocates in, uh, and attorneys providing regular monitoring in all of the state-operated mental health hospitals mm-hmm. and the training centers. Um, I mentioned those a little earlier um, they serve individuals with developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice their number is dwindling yep. um, intentionally. And that is due to a settlement agreement uh, between the United States and Virginia. Um, and that settlement agreement is, says, you know what? All many, many states across, uh, 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 across the United States uh, are already making sure that individuals are in an integrated environment where they can live in the community and not in some type of a facility where they mm-hmm. have limited options and that they're not maximizing their independence. Right. And so um, thanks to Olmstead and uh, several other factors, um, including our access authority, which we can talk about in a yeah. minute, um, <laughs> you'll find us in these facilities making sure that there aren't instances of abuse, neglect, other rights violations. Um, you'll also find us in juvenile justice facilities mm-hmm. and uh, residential facilities that serve children. Um, You know, one of our major purposes during these visits is just to make sure that these patients have a voice Mm -hmm. and that they don't feel like they're um, in an environment that is a segregated environment that uh, is uh, not safe for them Mm -hmm. or even perceived as safe. Um, You know, we investigate a lot of these uh, situations we find through this monitoring. Mm -hmm. And um, you'll find individual facilities. Sometimes we find trends. Um, And we have a lot of data that we have uh, access authority through. Um, through some wonderful reporting systems. And we use that data to then say, okay, where's the problem? Let's fix it. <laughs> yeah. So your, your access authority, I just want to touch on this briefly. Sure. Um, can you explain a little bit uh, what you mean by that, what that is? Absolutely. Um, so we have two federal grants mm-hmm. on the Protection and Advocacy for Developmental Disabilities Grant and the Protection and Advocacy for Individuals with Mental Illness Grant. And those two grants have this wonderful provision in each of them (laughs) that allows us to essentially have access to all residential facilities that serve children and adults with uh, disabilities across the Commonwealth. So um, if we want to go into a group home, Katie, because we feel there's a problem there, they have to let us through the door. That is really fascinating, Um, and we will talk a little bit more about it when we come back. We're getting ready to take a break here shortly. Uh, Just a reminder, if you um, have any questions, you can call in at 804-454-1366. You are listening to Raising the Bar, Law Talk Radio Show, and we will be back shortly.
You've been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Now, back to Raising the Bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. All right. Welcome back. You're listening to Raising the Bar, Richmond's Law Talk radio show. Today, we are discussing some of the laws and programs that protect the rights of individuals with disabilities, and I'm joined by Robert Gray, who's the Director of Compliance and Quality Assurance, and Julie Triplett, Senior Disability Rights Advocate, both with the Disability Law Center of Virginia. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. All right, so we spent the first half of our program um, discussing sort of an overview of the work that DLCV does. And um, from everything that you've said, it's clear that a big part of DLCV's mission is really making sure that folks with disabilities have the same opportunities as everyone else to be active and engaged members of the community. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that specifically part of the work that both of you do at DLCV involves um, vocational rehabilitation advocacy that you mentioned earlier. Um, and assisting beneficiaries of Social Security with work-related issues. Is is that right? That's correct. All right. Um, So what exactly are vocational rehabilitation services? Well, thanks, Katie, um, for asking. Vocational rehabilitation services are services that individuals with disabilities um, can utilize to help them to get or keep a job. All right. Um, So who's entitled to receive these services? Individuals with disabilities um, throughout the state of Virginia can receive these services if they want to work, um, if they want to work. And also, these are for adults and students. Um, Vocational rehab services can start as early as age 14 to help um, students get ready for life after high school. Um, When students with disabilities are in school, they're their primary focus is school, mm-hmm. and they have to, um, you know, stay focused on the school. But once they're done with school, the school is done with them. And so vocational rehab services can pick up to assist them to um, look for and keep jobs. Um, and that's why we say that they can start as early as age 14 because the vocational rehab agency can go in and work with the school to help them to do career assessments, vocational evaluations, um, situational assessments in the community, and um, to get what they need um, to work with the school so that they can, um, once they're out of school, really focus on that job, getting that job. Wow, excellent. So, And what, then um, also, oh, <laughs> that's ahead. fine. Um, I'm not, um, also, um, through the vocational rehab services, There's another aspect of that. Um, If individuals with disabilities that are receiving vocational rehab services have trouble accessing those services or find barriers to those services, they can contact um, the Client Assistance Program, which is um, acronym of CAP, Mm C-A-P, and um, which is run through the Disability Law Center of Virginia. Okay. 
Um, so you, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, the agencies that provide these services. What are some of the agencies um, that help to provide uh, voc rehab services to people in Virginia? The agencies that provide vocational rehab services in Virginia, um, the one that works with individuals who are blind and vision impaired is the Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired, mm -hmm. which is their acronym. We use a lot of acronyms in the disability community. <laughs> I remember. And um, the acronym for them is D as in doctor, B as in boy, V as in Virginia, I as in independent. So D-B-V-I. Okay. And the one that um, works with individuals with all t other types of disabilities is the Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services, which their acronym is mm -hmm. DARS, D yep. as in doctor, A as in advocate, R as in Robert, and S <laughs> as in services. Um, so their acronym, they um, just call themselves DARS. All right. Um, so can you give us, you know, you've mentioned this, um, this CAP program. I know that there's another one that you operate as well. Um, can you give a little bit uh, more information on DLCV's CAP program and sure. also the, the other program that you Absolutely. The CAP and PABS program are the bread and butter of our, our unit. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're, they're really what we work for. Um, as Julie mentioned, the CAP program is a client assistance program. It was established in 1984 okay. um, by the U.S. Department of Education. And basically it, to advise and inform and advocate for individuals with disabilities on all services and benefits under the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. So what we do is, you know, we routinely negotiate receipt of vocational re rehabilitation services. Okay. And then, um, yeah, for these clients of the agencies that Julie explained, the DARS and DBVI. And then what we'll do is we typically will provide direct case services for about 100 individuals every year under that CAP program. Um, and we've helped many people over the years. Isn't that right, Julie? Absolutely. We have. Um, I can give you um, a little bit of some examples of that. Yeah. Um, so we can do things as easily as assisting the client to maybe the individual to um, get access to a different counselor that they work with. All of the, when they go access services from um, DARS or DBVI, they get what's called a vocational rehab counselor that works with them. Okay. And um, so sometimes they have worked with their counselors for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe the relationship has just gotten stale. And um, so we can help them to, um, by, by contacting um, individuals within the system, we can help them to access maybe getting a new counselor and help them to get on a fresh start in the road in a new direction with a new counselor. So we can do that. Um, we also go and work with them to, when they're working with their counselor, they have what's called an individualized plan for employment with yet another acronym, an <laughs> IPE, an IPE. And so um, we can also help them to make sure that they're getting the services that are on their IPE to the fullest extent that they need to to be maximized for their employment potential. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we do that as well. Um, an example of one of the cases that I've had the privilege of working with um, in the last couple of years is an individual that we were working with had a pretty severe um, disability and where he had to, um, at the present time, his disability was such that he could not be around people that often because um, he he um, could get sick. And so, um, but yet he wanted to finish his degree. Mm -hmm. his, he had an associate's degree. 
And he wanted to get that full um, bachelor's degree so that when his disability improved, and it was expected to improve, um, he could get back in the workforce in the computer information technology field, which is what he um, was trained to do. Mm -hmm. And so um, the CAP program through um, the Disability Law Center of Virginia was able to assist him to so that DARS would help him to get um, education through an online degree, okay. which is, they don't always do that. They much prefer um, working, you know, students going to public schools mm-hmm. um, in, the, in, the, in their communities, state schools, and like VCU or UVA or something like that. But um, because of DLCV and the CAP program's advocacy, we advocated that DARS, because of his situation, assist him to get to be able to get his degree finish his degree through an online program okay and dars did that um they they allowed that for him and um so once he finished his degree and when the time comes when his disability has improved to a better place um he'll be able to access services in the community through um when he gets his job yeah, because he'll already have that degree. That's yeah, that's great. Exactly, yeah. and yeah. you know, it's a good example of um, it doesn't matter what agency you are, even Disability Law Center Virginia. Mm-hmm. We're all obligated um, with the important task of accommodating people with disabilities mm-hmm. and finding ways to do so that are uh, within the law. Right. Um, and we have another program that helps us out, the PABS program, okay. um, which is another one of these acronyms. <laughs> uh, sorry to the listeners. Uh, it, and it stands for Protection and Advocacy for Beneficiaries of Social Security. Okay. Um, this is a program. I bet you can get who guess who funds it. It's <laughs> Social Security Administration. Right. And uh, it basically it was established in 1999 mm-hmm. when the Ticket to Work and Work Incentive Improvement Act was enacted. Okay. And under this act, we... And this program, we provide advocacy assistance to beneficiaries of Social Security. And uh, with they're trying to secure or regain gainful employment. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of unique paths to do that. This is, this is one of our more flexible grants. So, But we, what we do is we try to find areas to concentrate on. Okay. So like this year, we were talking a little bit earlier about goals and focus areas. Um, we, this year's areas for our PABS grant include... Um, benefit-related issues with housing and transportation that impede employment. Um, And we use our PABS program to help people all the time, just like our CAP program, right, Julie? Absolutely. Our PABS program, like Robert said, is a bit more flexible. And so that um, one of the things that we're going to concentrate on this year is, like Robert said, is to assist with um, impediments to employment related to housing issues and maybe the People having access to um, their housing is an impediment to employment. So, mm-hmm. like physical access to their housing um, is maybe an impediment to their employment, a barrier to their employment, perhaps is a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then and some other examples that we have done through our PABS program, again, excuse the acronyms that we use, um, but um, another example is we had, we had a, um, we had three different individuals contact us, and um, but they all, you know, they contacted us independently of each other, mm-hmm. and um, they all had an issue, the same issue, and it was related to a college program that they were in in Northern Virginia, and they were all clients of the Vocational Rehab Services Agency, DARS, mm-hmm. and um, 
daughters had decided, um, for whatever reason, that they were going to have to stop um, assisting with funding for mm-hmm. individuals to attend that particular college program. And um, But through DLCV's advocacy um, and helping um, the clients, we noticed on their plans for employment, I go back to that document, that IPE that I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier, on their doc, on their um, employment document, the IPE, they all had services listed from that college program. So it was part of their plan to reach their maximum employment potential. So we advocated that because it was already on their plan to access the services from the program to to completion, um, we advocated that um, DARS provide those services until the students finished um, their programs. So we not only were able to get that accomplished for the three that we were working with, but DARS um, did that for other students that already had that on their IPE program. So that sounds like something that started out as a, you know, individual case and kind of became a systemic solution almost. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It was great. It was, awesome. it was, it was wonderful to be a part of that. I loved it. Another example is um, we had an, uh, a case that we were working with that the client was a count, was a um, individual who was receiving services from DARS mm-hmm. and um, from the VA VR agency DARS. And so, but he also had another disability. He had a visual impairment as well. So he, because he had the visual impairment and the other disability, he could receive services from both agencies. And he was having trouble accessing the services he needed from DBVI. So we worked with DARS to help him to access the services he needs from DBVI. So DARS and DBVI are now both serving this client. So um, DBVI can offer him some assistive technology solutions and evaluations so that he can um, get some kind of um, accommodations for the visual part of his disability when he's in the workplace. So it sounds like a lot of what you guys are doing is just kind of making sure these agencies do what they're supposed to be doing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you'll notice this running theme mm-hmm. of working with systemic issues. Right. You know, we try when we can to take on these cases, but in many cases, you know, what we have to do is we have to decide um, where to spend our resources. Mm-hmm. And taking on things systemically, a lot of times, you know, gives us, uh, you know, a, a bigger impact on the populations that we serve. So you'll notice um, individual victories, systemic victories. But with these agencies too, Katie, we can take uh, take both of these agencies to administrative processes. Okay. Um, there is a mediation and a fair hearing process offered by both DARS and DBVI, mm-hmm. and DLCV will represent. Um, last year, uh, in, in fiscal year 17, we represented an individual who was on the other end of Julie's uh, situation with her Northern Virginia college case, um, another individual who had just graduated mm-hmm. and um, all of a sudden realized that they had a mountain of debt. And it was related to uh, Dar's failure to adequately um, provide funding for their last semester of college. So put yourself in the position of a young woman who is starting to get out there in the world. Mm-hmm. She's looking for jobs. She has no money for interview clothing. Yeah. She has no money for shoes on her feet to be able to walk out of the door and try to find a job. 
all because of a goof up with funding. Yeah. So we went and represented, and uh, our client was successful at fair hearing and uh, was able to receive a financial award that allowed her to walk out of the door in a beautiful, <laughs> you know, clothing yeah. and, and shoes that, 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 that allowed her to have confidence to go and get a job. Mm-hmm. Which is absolutely crucial. Um, so it sounds like you guys are doing really good work, and you have sort of these these ways to enforce. Uh, you know, some you know you've got some some teeth behind your advocacy. Sometimes it sounds like. <laughs> so so when you uh, represent people um, in these fair hearing situations, um, mm-hmm. I mean, is that something that an attorney has to do? Is it something advocates can do? Great question. Um, luckily, there are many processes with administrative. Uh, processes and that advocates can complete mm-hmm. as well as attorneys. You might, you might. We haven't mentioned this thus far, but Julie and I are both um, advocates mm-hmm. by by, yeah. by trade, <laughs> right. and so so uh, you know, luckily with the DARS and the DBVI uh, mediation and fair hearing processes, um, it could be an advocate or an attorney who represents. Okay. Um, there are many other processes, and then once we would set foot in a courtroom, as you know, um, we'd have to have our, our attorney step in. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of work uh, together and intertwine our skills to be able to take on the administrative processes and the legal proceedings yeah. together as a team. And that allows you guys to kind of you know spread your resources too, I imagine. Oh, very much get so. Get more work Absolutely. done. Um, so if somebody, uh, was qualified for, uh, vocational rehabilitation services, um, you know, you've mentioned some of these agencies that provide mm-hmm. them. How do, how do people connect with those agencies? Sure, sure. And hopefully, uh, folks have a pen and paper out right now or <laughs> something to type into. Um, but for VR issues to contact the agencies, um, you can reach DARS, um, through the following number. You can call 800-552-5019. Or you can email at dars, D-A-R-S, at D-A-R-S dot Virginia dot gov to get connected. I don't, you know, there's a, they have a lot of different offices scattered mm-hmm. around the state. So start here with their administrative office and they'll get you where you need to go. Okay. Yeah. And now DBVI, um, you can also reach them. They have many offices. So their main number to reach them to get started is 800-622-2155. Or go ahead and visit www.vdbvi.org for more information. Now, that's that's kind of the VR side of things, vocational yeah. rehabilitation. If, if you just have PABS issues related mm-hmm. to some of these topics we were talking about, um, it could be, um, you know, an issue related to housing, which is a barrier to employment. Mm-hmm. It could be a work-related overpayment of Social Security benefits, um, things of that nature. Just give us a call, okay. and, and, we'll, and we'll talk to you directly about it rather than— um, resolving that um, that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So to get in touch with the agencies, call those numbers. If they're having other issues or issues with the agencies, call you guys. That's yes. The, okay. yes. Yes. Now, now, now to reach us, um, what you want to do is you want to call 800-552-3962 or email us at info at dlcv.org. Um, now, what you'll find is that we have uh, advocates that are on duty mm-hmm. on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 8.30 to 4 p.m. to basically discuss any disability advocacy issue you have. Okay. Um, And Or just send us an email, and we'll get back in touch with you. Um, But we want to make sure that people, um, you know, we have an obligation as an agency to try to resolve things at the lowest level of intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, But we want folks to call us when they're, the minute they have a problem with any of these VR agencies or the minute they have a problem they perceive as being 
um, related to a disability advocacy issue. Okay. And then you can resolve it at that lower level instead of having to worry about jumping into court from the get-go, it sounds <laughs> most, like. <laughs> most people want to fix things, right. you know, and, and, and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Particularly, we're serving, in, mi- in most cases, Katie, a very vulnerable population. And we have to keep in mind that um, the resources that are available to them aren't always um, very uh, plentiful. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure people realize that um, we all have to be a team together here. Um, we promote self-advocacy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'd like to think that we could follow along with someone through the multitude of issues they'll have in their life. But the reality is we don't have the resources to be case managers. Mm-hmm. So when folks come to us, we can help on an individual issue. And then, you know, what happens next? Right. Um, so it's important that people also learn self-advocacy skills along the way so that they can navigate the rest of the things that life throws at them. All right. Um, Well, we are getting a little bit close to the end of our time, um, but I still want to talk about, um, you know, you guys, you do this great work. You've talked about the work of your agency. Um, What do you perceive as some of the biggest challenges that that you face in advocating in this area? Mm -hmm. Well, um, one of the big challenges is is that Robert mentioned earlier is that we are um, the protection advocacy for the entire state of Virginia. Right. And he also mentioned that um, only two-thirds of our staff were advocates and attorneys. So we're going out and doing the advocacy work, and there's only a few of us doing it. Mm-hmm. So that that's a challenge because we have limited resources and limited staff. As Robert told you, we don't cover every disability-related issue that comes to our attention mm-hmm. because we just can't. So um, that... That is a challenge in and of itself because we want to be able to do more, but but we just we can't. We don't have the funding to do so. But um, some of the but one of the areas too that we have challenges in is in the metropolitan areas. You know, a lot of times because of just being more public and things like that, people can find out about us. Mm-hmm. But um, in these more rural areas that are in the state of Virginia, which we all know Virginia is a can in certain parts is is rural, mm-hmm. and so um, sometimes in the places in these rural areas, people don't find out about us as easily. Um, this last year, this last fiscal year, um, we did um, we operate on a fiscal year, which the federal fiscal year of October one through September thirtieth, mm-hmm. and this last fiscal year, we did some targeted, very targeted outreach in the areas of Charlotte. Appomattox and Southampton counties because just because we had through our own studies of our own data realized that we had not served a lot of people in those areas so we made some specific outreach efforts in those areas to serve um, individuals with disabilities in those areas and what we found was that a lot of people in those areas had never had access to our services because they'd never heard of us mm-hmm. wow so yeah, yeah does sound like you're doing a lot with a little, but I can, I mean, I, I remember all the, you know, road trips when I was uh, <laughs> yeah. with you guys um, right after I finished law school. It's it's a lot of traveling when you have to cover the whole state and you only have about 20 people to do it with. Sure. Um, That's correct. So, Robert, I mean, what are your thoughts? What are what would you sort of say is some of the biggest uh, challenges yeah. that you face? You know, I think the problem is, um, you know, just we generally as a society um, sometimes need a lot of education mm-hmm. about disability, mm-hmm. about disability etiquette, and understanding that um, everyone has different needs and challenges mm-hmm. regardless of disability or, 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 or folks that don't have a disability. 
So the acceptance that our society and honestly, um, you, you know, you know, globally, mm-hmm. we need we need to embrace uh, is 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 a daily struggle. And so, what I'd ask everyone to do is, if you have an opportunity to provide education or enlightenment to individuals who may be um, confused or not understand a situation as it relates to a disability, step in, mm-hmm. talk to people, ask questions. They want to tell you what you need to hear, but you have to ask. Right. <laughs> Right, absolutely. Um, I mean, I I know that that was you know when I when I was there, a big a big part of it was just sort of that education. And you know, you had so many people call in, and you know, like doctors' offices. Well, what do you mean I have to provide an interpreter? Right. What do you mean I can't charge the patient for that? And they weren't malicious. They weren't trying to be discriminatory. It was just you know lack of education. Lack of education. Yeah. 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 Um, but disabilities, it's a part of life, you know. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that if people maybe don't understand it at this point in their life, you know, they may, they may someday, it's, it's such a big part um, of life. And so you guys are doing really, really important work. Um, we have just a, a couple minutes left. Any more like just fun stories or, you know, great, uh, great cases you guys want to share? Well, I can share. Um, we did a wonderful project this last, the last couple of years with our, um, with um, some resources that we had where we went to, um, I spoke earlier about um, VR people, cases can start as early as age 14 and while they're still in school. Well, we went a little higher than that. We went to um, students who are um, trying to get out of school. And there's a whole plethora of information that students with disabilities need to know and their families and their professionals who work with them um, about services and supports that are out there for students with disabilities who are coming to that age 18 of majority, that age where they have to become adults and know about things that they have to do for themselves. Mm -hmm. So we put together a handbook um, on those resources and handouts and things like that that students with disabilities, their parents and the professionals who work with them need to know as they are what we call, quote, coming of age, Mm -hmm. close quote. And um, so we have those resources on our website, which is dlcv.org slash students and young adults with disabilities. They're on our website, but you can, we also have them in a hardback um, book format as well. And Katie, we've got uh, a lot of resources available to individuals mm-hmm. related to things like our CAP program and other, other disability-related topics and issues so we really do encourage folks to give us a call. Um, we try to provide those resources when we can, of course, free of charge. All right. Well, it looks like we're out of time. You have been listening to Raising the Bar. Uh, next week, Colleen Quinn will be discussing access to legal services with Ali Fannin from the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation and, some, and Marty Wegbright from Central Virginia Legal Aid Society. Thanks for listening in.